Hey, good morning, everybody. How are we doing? Yeah? How are we doing? We're hanging in there? Good. My name is Matt Moberg. I am the, uh, the director of The Table, which is our Sunday night worship community. If you have not come yet, shame on you. You should feel awful in this moment. I want you to feel small, okay? So I want you there. We should be doing that together. Um, I'm happy to be here with you, though, and before I say anything else, the last time I was here was back in July, and the last time I was here, things were a little crazy for me on the personal side. My wife was in the hospital having some pregnancy complications, and so that whole morning's a blur. I might have cursed you guys out. I don't really know, okay? It's all just, I don't recall it completely. But what I do know is that after that service, by the time that I even got to the hospital that afternoon... It was overwhelming how, how, how proud I was to be a part of this church. Because you all showed up in profound and sincere ways and loved on my family in a time of, of deep need and angst and uncertainty. And by the time I got to the Lauren's hospital room, I kid you not, there were flowers, omelets, pancakes. I mean, like notes from people. And so I just want to say on behalf of Lauren and I, thank you, because... You know, I don't know if you've been in those times where it's like you don't know what's coming next. You don't know how this whole thing is going to unfold, but you have people who are in it with you. That changes everything. And so I'm very grateful for you guys. I just want to say thank you on behalf of the Moberg tribe from me to you. We are grateful. Also, the complications that happened that day, they resulted in child being born. This is a picture of my baby boy Sawyer came two months early. He came the very next day. Handsome little fellow there, if I must say so myself. He's kind of got a little power pose there, you know. He's resilient. I like that in, I like that in my children. I like to find that in them. He was in the hospital for about uh, 40 days, give or take a few, and um, it was a battle, but now he's home, and he's healthy, and he's happy, and we love him. I think we do. We love him. It's, it's like this it's like the, intellectually we love him, you know? Like we are cognitively aware that we have deep affections for this child. But, I mean, Gavin loved him too. Babies aren't easy though. I mean, if you are somebody who prefers things like uh, sleep and um, maybe un, uninterrupted nights of just drinking a glass of wine, reading a book, happiness, you know, babies might not be your thing. Like... <laughs> Use caution before you rush into that choice because they come, and they come strong, okay? I had a, a night a couple nights ago actually with, with Sawyer where uh, he just had like full-blown panic attack meltdown. Like for no reason. Like I get if you're angry and there's justifiable reasons, but he had no reason to be this angry. He's just fired up about something, and I could not put him down without him completely falling apart, and I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I mean, I am like searching on Google, I'm searching on YouTube, I'm going outside and searching the stars. I'm like, is there some answer out there that can explain to me how to make this kid stop crying? Because I'm about to lose my mind. Actually, you know, when I was Googling, I read about how previous generations, they used to dip the nook in whiskey. (laughs) Y'all should be ashamed of yourselves if you've done that. I didn't do it. I thought about it. But then I thought, how am I, how am I going to explain when I bring baby Sawyer up to his mother 
that his breath smells like. Like, I just don't know how I can connect all the dots on that and make it happen. And so the kid kept panicking, and he kept having this meltdown, and I didn't know what to do. But in the midst of the meltdown, out of nowhere, he just all of a sudden broke out in this big, fat, beautiful smile. And I think he was just passing gas, but it was beautiful. And it was a really important smile, because here's why. As I'm in the midst of my meltdown, and he's in the midst of his meltdown, and then he starts to smile, I was reminded of who I am holding at this time. I was reminded of that this kid is not a burden. He's actually a huge blessing. And I I remembered how, you know, 100 years ago, if a baby's born two months too early, they probably aren't making it out of the hospital. I remembered how I have so many friends right now who are struggling to have any kids at all, what they would give for a frustrating moment with a child of their own. I remember that this kid is a profoundly good gift, even if he cries all night, every night. The psalmist tells us that come the morning, our tears will turn to joy, which is actually great encouragement for me because so often it is very easy to turn my joy into tears. So often the things in my life that I should be celebrating, I end up lamenting. And not appreciating the way that I should. Have you all ever noticed, have you experienced in your own lives, how things that should make you grateful, how gratitude, gratitude is a fragile and fleeting thing. Like you receive a gift and you are filled with gratefulness. You are experiencing the gratefulness. But then at the first sign of stress or envy or pain or confusion, that gratitude is gone. The gratitude is no more. And you're filled with that angst. And you forget that, yes, this baby is being a spaz right now. But what a gift. What a blessing, not a burden, it is that you are holding. I want to talk about what it looks like to live with all the gifts in your life. What it looks like to live in the gratefulness and not the angst. Will you pray with me as we do? Jesus, God, you are good and you are here. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, Lord, may they be acceptable to you. Lord, transform us with your presence. In Christ's name, all of God's children, we all say together, amen. If you have your Bibles, now would be a good time to grab them, open them up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to go to verses 1. That's it right now. Acts 2. One. And, and you know, if you don't have your Bibles, that's okay too, because we have it on the screen. And so if you feel like you're about to get in a panic attack, like you don't belong, you don't, don't worry. It's on the screen. I'll give you one moment. The text reads like this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. On the day of Pentecost, the people all got together and they were in one place. That one place being Jerusalem. Everybody from everywhere came and they partied. Think, think like Mardi Gras minus like, you know, the different things that make Mardi Gras Mardi Gras. But think Mardi Gras as far as like excitement, energy, celebratory nature, the loudness. People were pumped up to come to Jerusalem to celebrate Pentecost. Why? What was Pentecost? 
Pentecost was one of three Jewish pilgrim festivals where people from all over the world would come and they would gather in Jerusalem after the barley harvest season and before the wheat harvest season where they would come and they would offer up their first fruits. They would offer up their first fruits to the church. They would offer it to the priests on behalf of God to say thank you, to give credit where credit is due. Why would they do this? I mean, it's a fair question, right? If you actually think about it, and maybe if you do think about it, you'll realize that that question, it kind of hits a little close to home. Why does the harvest that I sweated over, the harvest that I woke up early, the farming, all of the work that I did, maybe it's for you, maybe all the schooling that you went to, the extra hours at work that you put in to get that promotion, what does any of that back home have to do with Jerusalem here? What? What does God have to do with what I got? I mean, these are two disconnected things. Why are the people coming from their hometown harvest and bringing their first fruits to Jerusalem with everybody else to celebrate Pentecost? Well, if you were to ask them, they would tell you. You know, a few months ago, we, we put a few seeds into the ground But then sandwiches came out. All we did was put something small there, but then our tables were filled with food. The ancients, they didn't understand things like germination. They didn't understand how seeds turn to food. And so what they did understand is that these gifts that were theirs came straight from a good giver. And so after their season of plenty and before their season of need, they paused and they came to Jerusalem to say thank you to the good giver of good gifts. Do you do that in your lives? Do you you recognize the gifts that fill your lives? The pockets of goodness, joy, encouragement, inspiration, whatever it might be. What you have that gets you through another day. Do you recognize them as gifts? The steady job, the warm friend, the warm plate of food, breath, another day, another chance to start over again. These are gifts, all of them. Do you see them as gifts? Or do you see them as things that you went and you got on your own? The evidence of one who understands that life is filled with gifts from the good giver is that they become givers of good gifts themselves. You see, if you understand that all of life, all that fills your life and fills your bank account and fills your home and fills your family, even kids, everything, if that is just you doing your thing and you getting yours, earning These are your earnings. Earnings just bring about validation. But if you understand that they are gifts, gifts bring about joy. And joy always gives birth to generosity. People who understand joy, who experience the joy that comes from life as a gift, understand that when you go to gifts, gifts go through you. Uh, Gifts are a vibrant thing. When gifts stay static, when they go dormant, they die. If you keep the gift, you kill the gift. People who understand that life is made up of gifts, they understand that these expressions of love and goodness and hope, they're not rewards, but they're initiators. That's why Paul, in Romans chapter 2, he says this. 
Do you have contempt for the riches of God's generosity, tolerance, and patience? Don't you realize that God's kindness is supposed to lead you to change your heart and change your life? Do you understand that you kill the gift if you keep the gift? Do you understand that the gift can only grow if you give it away? Do we understand these things? That it's better to share and get in on the action with everybody else than it is to fill your pockets and run away by your lonesome. I met a man once who understood this. Uh, He understood that all the gifts that came to him had to go through him if he was going to experience the joy of the gifts. It was a few years back, I was in college, and uh, one of the summers I went and I worked at a young life camp. Now, this just wasn't like any other young life camp. This one was up in the British Columbia Islands. It was called Malibu, just to kind of give you a little, you know, it's like that, that's nice. You call yourself Malibu if you look good. This is a picture of it, actually, I think we have on here somewhere. Look at that. British Columbia Isles, I mean, like you have, um, you have mountains, you have whales, you have seals, you have sea, you have amazing food, and... So I worked up there for a month, and I worked in the kitchen. Now, the kitchen was less glamorous. The kitchen, I was on my feet for about 12, 13 hours a day, and it stank like fish, and the people weren't very kind, and, you know, it is what it is. It wasn't like the most life-giving thing in the world. When we were in there, though, we heard that there's a man who lived with his family on the island. There's a man who owned a lodge, a cabin on the island. We didn't know much about this man, but we only knew that he was probably the only other person on the island outside of the camp. And one day, while we were working in the kitchen, it was a Saturday, and all of the students had gone home on Saturday, and before the, all the students came back, we received word from this man and his wife that they wanted us to come over just to rest. And as we were going to his house, because who says no to rest, we started learning about this man, that this man was a lawyer, that he was uh, involved in government, that he was incredibly busy, but he had received a lot of things, and he understood all of his things to be gifts. He did not own any of them. He was just stewarding the gifts in his midst. Now, when I, we pull up there, I'm thinking like, okay, so, you know, that's great. Thank you, sir. We'd love to rest. That sounds amazing. And I thought he might hand us the key and say, the house is yours. You know, do what you want. Just lay low. But he takes it a step further, and when we pull up, his whole family is outside, youngest to oldest, standing there. And when we get there, they're wrapping their arms around us, cheering, saying, welcome home. Uh, And then they bring us inside to their house. And in their house, in their living room, it was decked out with blankets and pillows and popcorn and candy and pop and movies and board games, and and they say, the house is yours to do what you want. We are going to be here all day. If you need anything, let us know. We're here to serve you. And we did. We lounged all day long. I wasn't sure I'd ever get up again. I was so comfortable. And it was an amazing day. And at the end of the day, as if it was not good enough already, uh, the man invited us out with his family to their deck uh, that overlooked the ocean, and the mountains, and he made this huge feast for us. I still remember chicken cordon bleu sandwiches and like these amazing desserts, and we spent the night eating, and uh, he put on a little concert for us with some of his friends, and and, um, we told stories, he listened, he told us about his life, and I don't know that I've ever felt so profoundly loved as I did in that moment. And the reason behind it is he 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 wasn't obligated to do this. I mean, it's one thing for me to take care of baby Sawyer or my baby brother. There's a sense of like, yes, I love them, 
But I'm also a little obligated to care for them in their time of need. Like, I have a sense of responsibility. This guy does not know me. He doesn't know the 10 other volunteers that I was with. But he reached out and he said, I have gifts. Do you want in on the action? He was so convinced that life is best experienced when life is shared. So convinced that when you go to gifts, you let the gifts go through you. That years after this experience, he actually wrote a book. And he called the book Love Does. Have you read this book? It's an amazing book. Bob Goff, he tells stories in the book over and over and over again. What it looks like for love to be this vibrant reality. And it wasn't like to, 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 you know, to kind of show you, look how much of a lover I've been. Up. It was actually to say, I figured out what it looks like to live in abundance and to keep abundance. It's not from storing and stashing all these things away just for yourself. It's actually when you give it away. This book, Love Does, it became a bestseller. And true to form, Bob ended up giving every one of his pennies away. He didn't keep any profits from the book. New York Times bestseller, didn't keep a dime. Because love is best experienced when it's given away. What feels at first like a loss always ends up being a gain. The people are in Jerusalem celebrating Pentecost to say thank you to the good giver who had given them good gifts. And in the midst of this city, while it's still bustling, who also is there is the tribe of Jesus. And they're sitting in the upper room, and they're waiting for the Spirit to come. If you know the story, I would encourage you, you really should read the entirety of Acts chapter 2, because we're not going to today, and it's an incredible story. But the people are sitting up in the upper room, and they're saying, Jesus, you said that your Spirit was going to come. When's it going to come? And then the wind blows through, and the doors fling open. And the Spirit falls on the people, and they start speaking in foreign tongues. And they start speaking about the glory of God in languages they don't understand. But they don't stay huddled in the room by themselves. They break out. And they go into the streets where Mardi Gras is happening. And Peter, he stands up in the midst of this crowd and he preaches uh, an incredible sermon. I mean, just one of those, you know, just gut-wrenching sermons. And he tells the people there that Jesus, the one that you slaughtered, the one that you hung on a tree... Uh, He didn't stay dead. He broke free. And in fact, he was your Messiah, but you became his murderers. And jaws just drop on the floor. And there's a silence in the air. And they don't know what to do with that. They don't know how they're supposed to react to this overwhelming despair that they're feeling. And so the text reads, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Which is a fair question, is it not? The people were torn up. What's the next play? How do we get out of here alive? What have we done? We came to say thank you to God, and now we're being told that we killed God's chosen one. What do we do next? And then Peter says to them, what God is always saying to us is that it's not too late. You are not too far gone. Yes, you once were lost, but now you are found. You were blind, but now you see. Peter says to them, repent and be baptized. 
in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift. Everybody say the gift. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Do you see what just happened there? The people of Pentecost, they are in despair over the guilt from what they had done. And Peter says, I have a gift for what you will become. And these are people who know what to do with gifts. They are Pentecost people. They get that if the gift is going to grow, if joy is going to be experienced, when the gift goes to you, the gift has to go through you. And so in the opening scene of the church, we read, uh, the first opening scene says, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. What a beautiful image. This is what the church looks like. Church, do we understand, as a community here who gathers in 70th and 100, that it does not matter if you believe in Jesus if you don't actually believe Jesus. It doesn't matter if you believe that there was a rabbi who died 2,000 years ago and somehow broke free from the grave if you don't believe that he has your best interests at heart today. If you don't believe him when he says that love is better than hate, that sharing is better than hoarding, that enemies can be friends, that it is better to lose your life if you want to try and keep your life. Do you believe in Jesus and do you also believe Jesus? Peter tells the crowd, the new believers, that if you want in on the tribe, you need to be uh, ones who repent. That is, to change the way that you see the world. Repentance is taking on the new paradigm. It's seeing that everything I thought I once knew no longer holds weight for me. What I thought was the ways to abundance, to success, to glory, to gain, whatever it might be, I need to shift that thinking. My interior posture needs a revolution of sorts. It needs to change. The scales need to drop so that I can see a little bit more clearly. And then you need to be baptized which is you need to live it from the inside out. Make it a holistic affair. Involve all of you in all of him. That revolution that happens on the inside, do not stop it there. The gift that you have received, let it go out from you as well. Publicly, in a bodily way, proclaim that you are in the tribe of Jesus, the tribe that believes that love is better than hate. I, uh, uh, I did a baptism this past Thursday, and it was, a, uh, um, it was at Lake Riley in Eden Prairie. And I don't know if y'all are aware of this, but it's cold outside right now. We are in late October. And so this was one of the stupider things I've ever done. I mean, it was holy, and it was sacred, but it was stupid. It was cold. And um, when we got out there, we were inching our way out into the waters, and, and it really was just this beautiful, profound moment. And uh, it was our two friends from the table that were getting baptized, and, and one by one they came out. And uh, as they were coming out, it was fascinating for me as I was waiting in the water to watch the people on the shoreline passing by in the background just going, have these people lost their minds? <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? You're crazy. But that makes sense, doesn't it? Because people in the water are never going to make sense to people on the shore. The tribe of Jesus Christ is never going to make sense to those who are looking from the outside in. 
The tribe of Jesus Christ has never made sense to anyone. In fact, if you go back, in the second century, we have a letter uh, preserved where somebody is just saying, uh, he's, reading, he's writing to the powers that be in Rome, and he's saying, let me try to explain to you what this people is all about. And it's, even when I do explain it, it's not going to make sense because they're crazy. They go into the water in late October. But here's what the letter says, and it's, it's so good. This is from about, we think, 130 A.D. And this is how they describe the Jesus movement. They dwell in their own countries, but only as aliens. As citizens, they share in all things as others, yet endure all things as foreigners. Every foreign land is to them their native land. Every land of their birth is as foreign land to them. They're in the flesh, but they do not live after the flesh. They love all people, but they're persecuted by all people. They are unknown and they are condemned. They are put to death, but they will be restored to life. They are poor, and yet they are making everybody rich. They possess few things, yet they abound in all. They are dishonored, but in their very dishonor, they are glorified. And those who hate them are unable to give any reason for their hatred. You know, if you read the story of the first church, about how the Spirit falls on them, the wind fills the room, they start speaking crazy talk, they go out into the streets, they stand up in the crowds. You start to get the idea that this was a people, the church is a people, who are called out to maybe make things a little weird. Like the church should be confrontationally confusing to the world around you. How we love people, how we give away ourselves, the things that others would call our prized possessions, we say, what's mine is yours, that's not going to make sense to a lot of people. And so I think one of the questions we need to ask ourselves is, are our lives weird enough? Like when we think about our generosity, when we think about uh, the ways that we treat one another, even in this own room, when we think about the ways that we treat our neighbors next door at home, are we loving in such a profound way where people are stopping and saying, that, that doesn't make sense? Are we giving in such a profound way where people are going, well, that seems dumb and dangerous? Are we being weird enough? Because the first church was. Are we living in a way that makes heads turn? Do we understand that everything that we hold is gifts? We don't own any of it. We merely steward the gifts that the good giver has given to us. Will you pray with me? Father God, you have been so faithful to us. God, you have been so uh, good to us, providing of us, Lord. And we're grateful, God. Lord, but do not let our gratitude stop here. Lord, let it flow to us and then through us. Because everything we hold is gifts, God, given to us from you. We only put seeds into the ground, but you bring forth the feast. And so, Father, we love you. We ask that you would transformationally move us as a community as your tribe of Jesus, to love like Jesus loves. All God's children, we all say together, 
Amen.